Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Are we doing Nick's slide, please, tonight? Or are we uh, doing the, uh, rem- the clicker? Okay, we'll give it a whirl here. Backup plan is Nick's slide, please. Okay. That, yes, sir. Really? Okay, we'll, we'll give it a whirl. We'll give it a whirl here. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll try. We'll try to accommodate. Okay, we're in Second Thessalonians tonight, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, as we're continuing to work our way through the book here. And let's ask the Lord to bless our, our time of study this evening. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege uh, to gather together in Jesus' name to study your word. Thank you that it is an anchor for our lives. Uh, so the world, by and large, has no idea why they're here, where they're going. They don't have any purpose. But, Lord, we thank you that we know. Uh, we know who we are in Christ. Uh, we know what our future holds because of what the word of God tells us. So uh, may it be an encouraging time as we spend time in your word tonight. Bless the other ministries that are ongoing as well. Uh, again, thank you for this evening. Commit our time to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, um, as you note on the overhead, we have worked our way down to chapter 2, clarifying issues surrounding the day of the Lord's judgment. Uh, they were all excited at Thessalonica. They got saved, and they were waiting for Jesus Christ to come from heaven. So we find in cha- uh, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1 there, end of chapter 1. But then, uh, you know, they weren't quite expecting all this persecution. And in in addition to that, you have some false teachers come on the scene who are saying, you know, the reason you're going through all this persecution is because you're in the day of the Lord. And uh, so, and they're even trying to say, well, hey, uh, Paul is even in agreement with this now. (laughs) And those kind of things. So it was troubling them. It was confusing. It was troubling to them. And so Paul writes uh, to correct some things here as far as their understanding. And uh, he says, really, the idea of persecution really is not that you're showing you're in the day of the Lord. Really, it serves as a confirmation that you're kingdom citizens. Uh, This kind of goes with where we are as pilgrims passing through, you know, and uh, it just goes with the turf. And it also serves as as justifying uh, the fact that God is going to bring judgment on these people for what they are doing to his people in the world. And so he emphasizes that in uh, chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, day of, the Lord, <clears throat> day of the Lord cannot come until two things are in place. One, there has to be the departure, uh, the falling away. I, I take it the departure related to the rapture. And then secondly, uh, there has to be the revealing uh, of the man of sin. And, of course, he will be revealed in uh, signing the seven-year covenant, as we find in Daniel 9, 27. Uh, and then he goes on to emphasize, really, what's holding the, the man of sin back is the restrainer. And we talked about this last time. Until the restrainer is removed, uh, the Antichrist is not going to be allowed to come on the scene. So the restrainer is in place. Once, he comes, uh, once the restrainer is removed, the Antichrist will come on the scene He will have the ability then to go into the temple, declare himself to be God. Uh, He's really um, the lawless one. I mean, he defies all of God's rules. Uh, So much so, he goes into the temple and declares himself uh, to be God. 
Well, that's a terrifying thing to think about to the day of the Lord, what is coming. So he ends up the chapter by really bringing words of comfort uh, to those who are not going to go into uh, the day of the Lord. We don't have to be afraid. And yet he's exhorting them to stand fast in this truth, not to be troubled, not to be uh, afraid. Okay, let's pick it up. Uh, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Who wants to read that for us? Okay, Jeff? Okay, thank you. A lot here. Uh, note there's a, there's a real contrast here, uh, but uh, we see the peril of those that will be facing the day of the Lord and the Antichrist and all that goes with that terrible time of judgment uh, that will come upon the world. But in contrast to all of that and the, the lot of the lost there, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. So he sees it as an obligation, you know. As God's people, we are really commanded to be a thankful people. And everything give thanks. And I think one of the things at the top of our list, we should be thankful for God's people, right? Maybe sometimes we have a tendency to maybe whine a little bit about each other. We should be very thankful for each other. I mean, we are all in process. We do do things to kind of irritate one another once in a while. That's why love covers a multitude of sins, Right. So, but uh, he says we're bound to give thanks to God always for you. And this emphasizes uh, that their salvation is God's doing. And salvation is of the Lord, as Jonah says. Um, it's God's doing. He doesn't say, I uh, want to congratulate you folks on, on what you have accomplished in terms of your salvation. Nope. Uh, no, we are bound to give thanks to God. Uh, it's, it's God's doing. Here we go. First big test. Ah, it worked. First uh, Corinthians 3. I planted a polished water. God. God gave the increase. So yeah, he uses human instruments, but really it's God that gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So it is God who gives the increase, and that's the emphasis here, as, as Paul is thanking God uh, for them. And he says, uh, brethren, beloved by the Lord. He affirms God's love for them. And how wonderful it is that, that as God's children, we are, we are loved of the Lord. It's, it's good to focus on that. Uh, you know, you get to the end of Romans chapter 8. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, I'm persuaded, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Ten things he mentions there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, all spheres. Nothing can separate us. So he says, he emphasizes to them, you're beloved by the Lord. It's not like God's out to get you and whap you with his wrath. Uh, the day of the Lord is a time of wrath. That's not what you need to, that's not where you're at. You're, loved, you're beloved by the Lord. Very comforting thought. Uh, in contrast to the false teachers who were saying, you know, we're really under the wrath of God here. We're in the day of the Lord. That's where we are. He's saying, no, you are beloved of the Lord. And so we thank God always for you, uh, beloved of, by the Lord. And then he goes on uh, to emphasize uh, their position. 
in the Lord. And he says, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now it's interesting here. He says, uh, God from the beginning chose you for salvation. And the question here is, uh, on what basis did he from the beginning choose them? Well, that's true. That's where, that's where he goes in terms of the how. The how. Uh, God worked. This is how he did it. But I'm backing up to the beginning now, and I'm saying, on what basis? And I would say, as you study the scriptures, uh, and you would all agree with this, it's on the basis of grace, right? Right? (laughs) It's on the basis of grace. You know, he really doesn't give us uh, more than this, as far as um, uh, how this interacts with human responsibility. I think it does. He goes on to emphasize, but uh, there's mystery here, and I think, uh, personally, we want to be pretty humble here. I just got done reading through a large section about Baptists in history and the Calvinists and the Arminians. I mean to tell you, if there's one thing history should teach you if you follow this, that study through, it's there is no consensus here. I mean to tell you. It's this way, this way, this way, this constantly. It's just pendulum swinging, 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 swinging. I wonder why that is. Uh, They all have their proof texts, of course. But uh, salvation is God's plan, and all the factors involved are known only by him. And the way he operates does not violate any of these factors. It's his plan, and his ways are past finding out. God made man in his image, which includes having the ability to think. Amen? Yeah? And choose, I think so. I think choice kind of relates to the issue of being made in the image of God. And so we, we do think and we choose. And uh, for me, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, none seeks after God on their own. But, you know, uh, sometimes one side says, well, yeah, you can choose to reject, but you can't choose to accept. Well, the fact of the matter is, if there's choice in there, maybe you want to think about, you know, that. Uh, This reality does not take away from God's sovereignty. Rather, it redounds back to his glory because he made us the way we are. And so, again, I'm admitting there's mystery there. Um, However, because of sin, man does not and cannot in and of himself move towards God. On our own, there is none that seeks after God. However, God does seek and convict people of sin. He shows them the truth so that they are without excuse. That's why. Uh, and that is why the Bible says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, there is, a, there is a responsibility, a human responsibility, to respond to the revelation of God, to the work of God. And, uh, but note here, he doesn't really tell us all the factors that are involved in uh, God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Before we get to the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, and there's kind of a, 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 a two-pronged emphasis here. Sanctification of spirit, belief in the truth. Which is it? Well, it's both. And uh, we'll get to that. But uh, before we get there, uh, God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Well, the question here is, what aspect of salvation? Uh, There's, you know, we say, well, from from sin. Well, yeah, that's true. But uh, there's also an emphasis in uh, Thessalonians, both books, on uh, deliverance in terms of the rapture, deliverance uh, from the day of the Lord judgment. 
And so note a few things here. Uh, this is supposed to be moved over here, okay? That line is supposed to go from there to here. <laughs> but First uh, Thessalonians 5, 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. There's the Greek word, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Same word here. Of course, you know, that word is used in lots of different contexts related to salvation from sin, related to uh, deliverance. Uh, it simply means deliverance, salvation, uh, related to the, the rapture. Uh, we are bound to give thanks to God uh, for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation uh, through sanctification uh, by the spirit and belief in the truth. Well, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, I tend to lean towards we are talking about this. Realize that for 12 verses, Paul has been talking about the day of the Lord judgment and seeking to show them that as believers, they will not go into it. Makes sense to me that in context that the deliverance he speaks about in the very next verse is a deliverance from this terrible time of coming judgment. Paul is uh, not at this juncture developing a systematic theology on the general topic of soteriology or, or salvation. Rather, he's developing the truth that they are not going into the day of the Lord judgment. That's been uh, the surrounding context. That's been the buildup to, to where we are right here. So, um, again... Uh, the one encompasses the other. I mean, it's not like they're not related. They are. But um, let's see. I think I got one more slide here. I would note uh, that the word Paul uses here for divine election, uh, choose, is a different word than he normally uses for election when talking about salvation generally. This particular word is used only here in the New Testament. The emphasis at this juncture is that God, from the beginning, has chosen his people in this age to escape the coming day of the Lord's judgment. Salvation, deliverance, also called the tribulation period. This is not an afterthought on God's part, but rather part of his plan from eternity past. That's what I think he's emphasizing to them. This is not an afterthought. God, from the beginning, has uh, chosen you for deliverance. Deliverance uh, in the rapture at the Lord's coming is how I would see the context here. And so he's emphasizing that, this to them. He's making a real emphasis here. That from the beginning, this is, is the plan of God. Uh, and uh, it does relate, uh, you know, like I say, uh, I don't want to get too dogmatic here because I think the one does relate to the other. One aspect of salvation relates to the other aspect of salvation. The reason I'm expecting the deliverance of the Lord at his coming is because I have salvation from sin. <laughs> so what I'm saying is they are related, as he even goes on to, to show uh, in the, the next verse here. But notice uh, he says how God has done this. He doesn't really tell us the why. You know, we don't want to jump into why. Uh, like I say, I'm with grace. It's all grace. But how did God do this? Well, through sanctification by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is uh, who sets us apart. His work in our lives sets us apart. And uh, I think, again, this relates to that, that emphasis. The, the Spirit is the restrainer. The Spirit is the sanctifier. Uh, the Spirit has everything to do about the church and wh who we are in Christ and, and our position and even our removal. Uh, the church began with the arrival of the Spirit and with his departure, we're going with him in that sense, uh, in a qualified sense. And so uh, through sanctification by the Spirit, uh, because of the Spirit's work in our lives, we have this great hope uh, in terms of the deliverance related to the rapture. Um, 
By the way, um, when you think about uh, uh, the, the children of Israel, uh, they did not experience uh, the plagues like the Egyptians did. Uh, they were set apart uh, in that sense. We're set apart uh, from the world uh, by the Spirit. Our lot is different from that of the world. God has not appointed us to a wrath, but to obtain salvation, as he says, to obtain deliverance. Sanctification by the Spirit. We are, we are set apart people. And uh, he says, and belief in the truth. And belief in the truth. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yep. So the idea that there is a sanctification in this context is not a story about the internal work of the spirit as in the sanctification process, but to say you are not destined for destruction. So you are set apart so destruction will not come to you. Sensational sanctification? Of course. Positional? Right. I'm taking this as positional sanctification. Yeah. And yeah, there is practical sanctification. The Spirit is at work in our life. But I really think he's talking about our position in Christ that sets us apart as those who are not destined for the day of the Lord judgment, really, in the context here. But then uh, he continues, and belief in the truth. Uh, This is interesting because of the context here again. Let me back you up here. Let's see if I got my arrow right here. I did! Uh, here in 2 Thessalonians 2.12, Noseway has just said in the previous verse that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is why people are condemned in the tribulation period. That's what we're talking about in context. We're talking about the, the man of sin comes on the scene and uh, the great lie, the lie, as the world will buy into that, they're all going to be condemned because they did not receive the love of the truth. And so they're condemned who did not believe. In contrast, we have salvation. Uh, on what basis? Well, because of belief in the truth. Yes, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So there's a contrast here. They did not believe the truth. We do believe the truth. They are condemned because of their unbelief. We have salvation because of belief in the truth. So I I think there's a real parallel that's going on here in those verses. Um, Okay, what else do we want to show here? Uh, I guess I got one more slide here. The salvation unto which they were chosen does not operate, this is Hebrew, does not operate automatically. The electing purpose of God is carried out through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. None are chosen apart from them. The two aspects are closely connected, being under the government of one preposition. Paul's double statement gives recognition to the interaction of the human and the divine in salvation. Scripture accepts and stresses both. And uh, I love Hebert because he's pretty balanced when, when we get to, to this. And uh, there is this mystery here. Apart from God, there is no salvation. Uh, from A to Z, that's true. And yet somewhere in the mix, there is human responsibility and human response. How that, how that, uh, there's, I, I am, a, I like to call myself a biblicist. I really don't like to be in, in, put in a certain category because I see mystery there that I don't fully, but I do believe you cannot completely uh, do away with human responsibility. I don't believe we're just puppets. 
I don't believe we're just, you know, the zapped and the unzapped. I hope I'm, part of, I'm one of the zapped. I hope I'm one of the elect that just gets zapped. Um, and yet, I do believe it starts with God and ends with God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah, he's the first and the last. So there, there, is, there is mystery there. But, and there is belief in the truth. There is sanctification by the Spirit and, and belief in the truth. They're both mentioned there. Okay, uh, before we get to verse 14, any other thoughts? Yes, sir. In verse 13, you're making the distinction between, when it's talking about salvationness, it's salvation in the more directly referencing the rapture and the taking out of the believer rather than the salvation of faith. What, and while we, while we recognize that those are are tied together very closely, yeah. Uh, there's a context here for me to make that emphasis. Again, I think they are interwoven. And I'm not wanting to divorce the one from the other because they are interwoven. And in fact, we go on in verse 14. He's going to say, uh, which he called you by our gospel. So that takes us, belief takes us right back to the gospel that we believe in and our salvation. But I do think in the context, he is talking about Deliverance, especially in this context, what does your salvation mean? Well, it ultimately means also deliverance from the day of the Lord, which is what he's just talked about in those previous 12 verses. So that's kind of why. Um, but yeah, I don't want to take this too far and say, well, you know, oh, this, you know, um, it completely is divorced from, uh, you know, our salvation proper. Uh, yeah. But I do think in the immediate context, there is a, po- a special point that he's making in relationship to we're not going into the day of the Lord, our, our deliverance. And I'm building on what he's already brought out in First Thessalonians there too. I mean, this is kind of a major issue with this particular group. Good question, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, he, he's not sharing the gospel with them per se. He's reflecting back on that they've come, you know, to believe in the gospel. But I think his emphasis with them now is your deliverance from the day of the Lord, ultimately. But it ties to the other two. Yeah, so I'm really not wanting to have a, a strong separation there either. Sure. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's true, because there will be those who are saved in the tribulation, right? And be saved even through the tribulation. So that's a good point. Yeah, which further makes the point, really. Yeah. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This would certainly be one of the verses, yeah, that, that, that they would emphasize. I mean, chosen, uh, God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Uh, yeah. Would it, would it not just be a moot point to say, well, God knows everything before it happened, and so if he chose you, then 
Well, the reason it matters is this is the heart of the debate that you have touched on here. Uh, on what basis did God choose? Did he choose because he foresaw down through the annals, he saw that you would choose him, and on that basis he chose you? Or did the choice start with God? That is the ultimate debate. Who does the choice start with? Where is election ultimately tied to in Scripture? Is it tied ultimately back to God, or is it tied to man? Do you want a God-centered theology or a man-centered theology? That's the great debate here. And I'm saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall off on the God side of things if I'm pushed. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Of him and to him and through him are all things. And yet, <laughs> there's mystery here for me that does not cancel out human response and human responsibility. So I like to call myself a biblicist where I like to say I'm in the middle and I can't solve the riddle. (laughs) Uh, There's mystery there with me. And there's this reason we've had this battle going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. Both sides have their proof text. And they really do. Uh, If you die in Romans 9, you will be a Calvinist. I promise you. But if, if you get to Romans 10, you could be an Arminian in Romans chapter 10. I mean, uh, anyway, you get into these, these theological battles. And, uh, uh, it's, you know, I think we want to be humble. We got three-pound brains. And, and uh, God is God. And whatever God says I go with, I'll just admit I don't fully comprehend it. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, and and that's there are other views. It's true. Uh, there, there are all kinds of different views um, in terms of how you understand all the terms. It, it gets so complex. And uh, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to emphasize, though, I do believe uh, in eternal security. And I believe that my salvation is secure, not because of me. It's secure because of God. So that's why I say I want to emphasize a God-centered theology. At the end of the day, uh, my salvation doesn't rest in me. It rests in him. And uh, so, yeah. Right? Yeah, well, for sure. Amen. Outside of Christ, we don't have any of it. Yeah. Okay, anyone else? Where did we leave off? Were we at verse 14? I think so. Yeah, verse 14. We've got one more verse here. Uh, he talks about uh, this position we have, sanctification, uh, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel. Uh, 
this is God's call, um, the internal call, and uh, the uh, effective call. In the New Testament, as Paul talks about called, it's always people that respond to the call. We answered the call. We are the called. And, and uh, so it's, it's uh, in Paul's theology, very consistently, he uses this of those who respond to the call. He doesn't use the word called in a general sense. And there is a general call where, you know, the call is going out to whosoever will can come. Uh, but Paul uses this in a very specific sense in terms of those who have responded. Uh, to which he called you by our gospel. Uh, and, of course, uh, we did respond in, in belief as believers, as he's already mentioned in verse 13. And uh, he chose us, uh, you know, in relationship to eternity past, as we saw there in verse 13. Uh, the present relates to our calling to which we have responded. And then there's the future, uh, the future glorification, uh, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the destiny of believers. We are going to share in the very glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what an amazing thing that is. In contrast, remember what he said about the unbelievers in, in chapter 1, verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. They will be shut out from the glory of his power. But we, on the other hand, are going to share in his glory uh, for the obtaining of the glory. Uh, his glory, how do, you, how do you define his glory, do you suppose? And when it talks about uh, for the obtaining, uh, this is the ultimate end here. Sanctification of spirit, belief of the truth, uh, called by his gospel for the obtaining of the glory. Um, how do you uh, define his glory? How would you say you would define his glory? I mean, we know it's glorious. <laughs> well, that's not bad. You know, uh, I think it defies explanation, really. But it really refers uh, to his, his awesomeness, his splendor, his majesty. Um, we really cannot imagine what it is going to be like to be in his presence and to share in his glory. I do think uh, we are going to have to be glorified to, to fully experience it. And uh, that's really what uh, it says in chapter 1, uh, verse 10, that we're going to be glorified. He's going to be glorified in his saints, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. Uh, so we are going to, as it says here in this verse, uh, obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to share in that. To share in his glory means we will be Christ-like. In that day, we will be perfected image bearers. When we see him, we're going to be like him. His light will shine brightly through us. This is our calling. This is our destiny, not that of wrath. As Paul says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. First uh, Thessalonians 2.12, Paul said that he calls you to his kingdom and glory. This is our destiny. Uh, we are going to share in his glory. I guess I got one more overhead here. 
We get a little feel for this when Moses saw just a partial glimpse of God's glory when he saw his back in Exodus. His immediate response was to fall on his face and worship. We see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. We see it in Revelation 1 where John saw Christ in his glory, fell at his feet as a dead man. The end of our calling is glory, not wrath. Um, And praise the Lord, you know, uh, John fell on his face here, but then the Lord lifted him right up. I I think, uh, apart from the Lord lifting us up, we'd forever be on our face. Uh, It it, it is hard to imagine what this will be like. But this is our ultimate destiny, the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his full name. Uh, Lord means master. When used of the the resurrected Lord, always relates to him him being deity, um, God master. Uh, Jesus means uh, Yahweh is salvation. That's, it's a, you know, a translation of the old Joshua from the Old Testament. Uh, um, so it's the idea of, of uh, God's Savior. And Christ uh, literally means anointed one, uh, the chosen one, uh, the coming one who would be God and man, who would be uh, deliverer and ruler, all wrapped up in one person. It's a rich word uh, coming out of the Old Testament. And so... One more slide here. This whole process of salvation is God's doing. Nothing is said to be of our good works. Nothing is said of baptism or rituals. Salvation begins with God. It ends with him. God chose. God sanctifies. God calls. God glorifies. The one thing that intersects with human responsibility is belief. Uh, And, of course, uh, you know, there are some that want to just say, again, God zaps you with faith. Uh, I'm not there. (laughs) There is... uh, you know, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted for him for righteous. Uh, you know, it, it's our faith, and yet God works in our heart to bring us to that point, yes. But there is human responsibility. Uh, we must believe the truth of the gospel. This is the difference between those who are condemned and those who aren't, as we see in our text. And even our belief is because of God's working in our hearts. Belief is non-meritorious. We believe through grace, as Paul says in Romans four sixteen. Therefore, is a faith that it might be according to grace. So faith is not in contradiction to grace. It's, it's according to grace. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts there before we move on? Okay. Yes, Kurt. For sure. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. That's for sure. You know, um, I do believe God so loved the world. Uh, uh, he, he, he is not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. At the end of the day, there's believers and there's unbelievers. Um, and, and God is appealing 
You know, he, he is uh, saying, uh, now is the accepted time. Respond while you have the opportunity. So, amen. Okay, let's have somebody read verse 15. We're probably going to have to cut to the chase on some of this. But, yeah, verse 15, who wants to read that for us? Anybody? Yes, Marianne? Okay, thank you. This is the anchor. Therefore, what he has just what he just been through related to our our salvation and uh, sanctification and uh, how God called us through the gospel and and uh, ultimately our destiny. This is our anchor as believers. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, stand firm. Don't, don't be tossed to and fro. Uh, be unmoved, unsettled. Uh, don't be unsettled. Uh, stand fast and hold the traditions uh, which you were taught. If you're Roman Catholic, you say, well, there it is right there. Hold the traditions. Uh, what traditions? Well, if you read on, notice it's always good to read on. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word, whether by word or our epistle. Note that word our in there. Uh, the word traditions literally means things handed down. And he's really talking about apostolic truth that's been handed down either in person, in word, or in a letter by by our epistle. So he's talking about things uh, that uh, have been given to them, apostolic truth that has been handed down from God through the apostles to them. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you first that which I also received. That's the pattern. Uh, Christ gave the truth to the apostles, and then they handed it down to us. Uh, the important thing to note is that the source was God, and he handed it down through the apostles and their close associates. This is uh, their, you know, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, uh, the revelatory foundation that they laid. We, we now build on that. Okay, uh, whether by word or our epistle, um, let's see here. I've got a number of slides here. In uh, the apostolic church, New Testament revelation was given by word and by letter. As the apostles passed on the scene, they left behind their letters as found in the New Testament. Scriptures. There are no apostles today, and so there is no ongoing revelation in word of mouth form. What they left behind was the completed message of God in the form of the New Testament scriptures, the epistles. Uh, This alone is the word of God in terms of New Testament revelation. If an apostle apostle is not in the mix, it's not from God. In John 16, Jesus said the Spirit would guide the apostles into all the truth. Definite articles there, definite body of truth, and he did. In John 17, 20, Jesus indicated that in the future, those who would come to faith would believe through the apostles' word. When John, the last living apostle, wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he put this capstone on it. He warned of dire consequences to anyone who would dare add to or take away from Revelation. And Revelation really ties the whole of the counsel of God together. Uh, Jesus warned uh, of the traditions of men that nullify the commandments of God. In Colossians 2, Paul warned of the deceitful traditions of men. It's amazing how legalistic traditions creep in and how they uh, become the authority. That is why I always say, do you have a verse? Traditions as used here by Paul refer to that which was handed down from God, handed down to us by apostolic authority. That alone is God 
God-given traditions. One more. Uh, When the Mormon church holds to an ongoing quorum of 12 apostles, they are in error. Uh, When the Roman Catholic church holds that sacred tradition is as equally authoritative as scripture, they are in error. When the charismatics claim that the gift of apostleship is still operative and they claim to give forth new revelation from God, they are in error. Uh, I always find this verse interesting in Revelation 2 where Christ says to the church at Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You don't put up with this foolishness. And specifically, he goes on to say, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now that's very interesting because later what does John say about all liars? They will have their part in the lake of fire. Uh, pretty serious stuff to claim you're an apostle, and yet that was already happening in these uh, early days in the church here. Uh, I want to also emphasize the context here relates to uh, uh, eschatology. It, it does matter. Uh, he is straightening out some things in relationship to eschatology, where these people were being taught, you're going into the day of the Lord, and he is saying, oh, no, you're not. And uh, he's making it pretty strong uh, to hold fast what you were taught, uh, whether by word or epistle. Don't don't let anything else sway you. Uh, Let apostolic truth be your anchor. Okay, let's finish out verses 16 and 17. Uh, Andrew, I saw you had your hand up. You want to read that for us? Okay, thank you. Again, mentions our Lord Jesus Christ. We a lot of times talk about that being his full name. has many names, but, uh, you know, Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, uh, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, uh, this uh, pronoun himself really governs both, uh, Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, uh, emphasizing the unity that we have here, equality on the same level. Uh, this relates to both of them. Uh, who has loved us, um, we are not targets of his wrath. He really emphasizes twice here in our study tonight uh, the love of the Lord for them. Who has loved us? Uh, you're the objects of his love, not his wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's what he emphasized in his first letter. He's building on that. Who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Enduring encouragement, enduring comfort. It's not like God is saying, I'm trying to traumatize you. <laughs> I'm holding the day of the Lord over you, traumatizing you. No, no, no. Uh, he loves us, has given us everlasting consolation, encouragement, ongoing, enduring comfort, and good hope. Good hope. Uh, Hope is the idea of anticipation. It's a wonderful word, New Testament word. It's a, it's a certain expectation. And it's a good one. You say, well, I'm expecting the Antichrist. That's not a good hope. No. I'm looking for the blessed hope. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, appearance of our Lord and Savior. Uh, the best is yet to be. And he says, by grace, this drives everything. It stands behind everything. Uh, love, everlasting uh, consolation and hope. And then he says, uh, comfort your hearts. Uh, he is the God of all comfort. And by the way, if, if you really think you're in the day of the Lord, there's not, there's not a lot of comfort there necessarily. Uh, that's why they were troubled. And he's trying to bring them out of a troubled state. 
and emphasize, uh, you know, the God of all comfort. Comfort your hearts. May the truth uh, that he is bringing out console them and establish you, stabilize you, where you're not tossed to and fro. Uh, We know our hope. We're stable there. This is our anchor. Establish you in every good word. Uh, Every good word, that's doctrine. Apostles' doctrine. Uh, The good word is the word of God. In every good word and work. Uh, Work is our practice. And so to finish out here tonight, Jesus has been gone for a while, right? Yep, he's been gone for what seems like a long time. Do we care? Are we looking forward to seeing him? It might not matter to many people, but it certainly matters to Jesus. In his final prayers, in what is known as Christ's high priestly prayer, he prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Wow. Uh, You think God the Father is going to answer that prayer? To be with him and that we may behold his glory. This is our destiny. Hold on to this. Uh, It certainly matters to Jesus, and for true believers, it should matter to us. We are looking forward to seeing and being with Jesus. This this is our great hope. In Hebrews uh, 9.28, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then at the very end of the book, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so I say, Maranatha, our Lord comes, perhaps today, live ready. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up this uh, section, uh, chapter 2 here? Yes. Yeah. Right? Amen. Yep. That's right. Amen. No matter what we go through, even, even and and we we must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom, uh, Acts fourteen twenty two. So, but we're not headed for the the day of the Lord wrath. I mean. That's, that's right. Amen. Major distinction. All right. Anything else? Anyone else? Okay. If not, uh, prayer sheets. Anybody need a prayer?